Hi team, I hope you're doing well. I first want to introduce the sponsors of today's podcast before we get on to the episode. And so today's sponsor is Passtest.com. They are a fantastic online question bank resource for all aspects of your medical school exam preparation. And they also allow you to tailor the questions to the specific medical school that you're studying at, as well as the year group that you're currently in. And so that's Passtest.com. Dot com. And you can use code CHRIS10, that's C-H-R-I-S 10, to get 10% off your Passtest subscription. Definitely check them out. And thank you so much to Passtest again for sponsoring this episode of the Apply Medic podcast. And now on to the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Apply Medic podcast. If you're new here, my name's Chris. I am now a final year medical student at the University of Edinburgh, and I'm also the founder of Apply Medic. So today I have a very special guest with me, Dr. Sandesh Gohani, who is a part-time GP working in Glasgow, and he is also a Conservative member of Scottish Parliament and the Shadow Cabinet Secretary for Health and Social Care, and he has very kindly agreed to come on the show today to talk about his career choices, how it's progressed over time, um, and his kind of general story and, and how his career has evolved within the medical profession and now his career in politics. Uh, so, hi Sandesh. Very nice to meet Hi. you, and thank you so much for coming on the show. Well, thank you for inviting me on. Perfect. So was there anything that I missed out there in terms of a general kind of introduction to who you are and what you do? Actually, quite quite importantly, because it does change sort of your outlook. Um, so I, I'm a dad of two now, uh, mm-hmm. two and a half, because I count my dog as, as one of my kids. <laughs> <Very nice. laughs> um, so yeah, and, and that does really change your perspective and it changes mm. the way that you look at things. I was an orthopedic surgeon uh, for a number of years, an uh, orthopedic registrar uh, for, for eight, nine years, I think, before becoming a GP. So um, children and uh, really the family does change your, your, your minds, your perspective. Mm, I can imagine. So I'd first like to to start off just uh, asking quite a, a fundamental question, actually, just relating to medical school uh, for yourself. And, and that is, why did you actually decide to study medicine in the first place? Well, I mean, since I was three, I always quite liked the idea of being a doctor. Um, mm. So it's something that I sort of grew up always knowing that that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to help people. I wanted to... Um, be the person that was able to, to save a life. Uh, and as I got older and older, it became more and more obvious that actually I was quite drawn to the subjects as well. So I was, you know, I enjoyed maths, I enjoyed science, I didn't enjoy languages so much, um, uh, and humanities, I didn't enjoy them as much as I did science. So it did seem quite a good fit for me to, to go into medicine as I got older. Um, but then I, uh, I remember getting to 17, 18, and uh, I, was, uh, I was in the cadets in the RAF, um, and there was the opportunity of, of getting a scholarship and, uh, and flying, being a pilot, uh, potentially, potentially in the RAF. And I remember sitting there having a really difficult decision, like, do I, do I pursue something I've always wanted to do since I was a little child, or do I go and do this new thing, which was amazing? I mean, flying is incredible, absolutely incredible. Imagine. And I decided, oh, yeah. 
just you know when you're taking control of the plane and you're doing stunts uh, and you're just doing oh, it's just it doesn't <laughs> I'd say there's nothing like it there really isn't anything like it and, and so it was a difficult decision and I decided actually uh, I could be a medic and I could join the RAF if I wanted to so let's do that um, but a, a very difficult uh, decision that I, that I came down to in the end um, why exactly medicine though um, I remember my uncle um, and he was in hospital uh, and we went to visit him uh, and I remember he got sick whilst we were in there uh, and we all didn't know what to do uh, and we panicked uh, and he, he sort of didn't look good and then in swoops this doctor that just took charge and did things and wasn't panicked and wasn't stressed and was doing amazing stuff and i remember sitting there looking at this doctor thinking oh my god how incredible is that you know whilst we're all here panicking stressed they are just uh, being able to cope and and, and and saving the life of my uncle i'm thinking that that i've definitely made the right decision here and so that leads into the next question that i wanted to ask and that is while you were in medical school and i'm sure you probably had a similar experience to what i've been having in that you seem to want to pursue a different medical or surgical specialty near enough every month with the new experiences that you have while on different placements and different locations and in different specialties. What was it that I suppose made you decide that you wanted to go into surgery and, and orthopedics when you were in medical school to begin with? Was there any particular experience that allowed you to make that decision of what you wanted to pursue? Well, I, I, I mean, I have to say that there's a big difference between you going through medical school and me going through medical school. That's a pandemic. Uh, your experience has been totally different to, to anything that anyone that I can remember uh, is going to go through. So, so you guys are in a unique experience, which actually I can't, I can't understand how you've gone through it. It's awful. You know, the stuff that you guys have had to go through. Um, I had a very standard medical school. If you, you know, I didn't have COVID. Um, and I probably, mm. you know, you said you were final year. So I had what you had yeah. uh, through your first three years, but the entire time. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so you guys, uh, well done for what you guys got <laughs> managed to I get. I mean, to. It, it was quite nice that even though the pandemic was going on, that we still had to go into the wards and we still had to do in-person placements because well, you can't really substitute that. So I was very grateful that even throughout the pandemic, I was still able to gain that experience, even though it maybe wasn't as much as uh, other people would have uh, been able to gain otherwise uh, out with the pandemic. Yeah. And the fact that, that you know, a lot of what you, you guys volunteered to do a lot of things and you were not necessarily doing placements in the way that I was doing my placements through my fifth year and final year, because the pandemic basically meant we didn't operate, you know, so you didn't really get to see uh, a lot of stuff. So, so th there is a difference between what, what you've gone through and what I went through. But, um, mm -hmm. you know, looking back, uh, I, I went to medical school in 2000 uh, and it feels just like yesterday, um, though it is 22 years ago, which is really scary to say. <laughs> um, and I, I qualified in 2006 from Imperial. Um, okay. Now, I was a rugby player um and played cricket and 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 I actually played some football for for the university team as well and 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 that sort of shaped because it's it's really your friends um that shape your experience of medical school um now let's discount the pandemic period but but outwith of the pandemic period 
friends really do shape the way that that, that you think they shape the way that um, you go about things uh, and and those you know playing rugby I obviously had friends throughout the years it wasn't just my year that I had friends in so you know I remember going to placements and uh, one of my ex-rugby captains uh, was the senior house officer uh, what was that that's S- S- FY2 probably now and and I remember seeing him on the ward and he's like oh, what are you doing here we had a little chat and he's like oh have you ever done a lumbar puncture like no right right come on come on let's uh let's get you to see something uh and and that that really does help you when you're seeing people who are doctors uh, and you are going through that uh, and you sort of see it, it is possible to become i know you're at medical school and you think you'll be a doctor but then you start to see people you actually are friends with becoming doctors definitely and and a lot of them went into surgery um and it rubs off on you. You see them going into the surgical specialties, you see them uh, doing things and you start asking about it. Uh, and that's sort of probably how I ended up going over to surgery. I wasn't sure what type of surgery initially. Um, I knew I knew I didn't want to be a med reg. Uh, I knew that pretty quickly uh, because that looks like and is, I can tell you, the worst job in the hospital. <laughs> so didn't want to be <laughs> I've a been med told reg. that on many occasions. <laughs> Yeah, if, if, if something's not going right, you call the medridge. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, it's certainly not not what I wanted. And I knew, I, and it was obvious things that you don't like. Um, and there are specialties that I simply had zero interest in, in yeah. pursuing. Um, and and so you can rule things out, but ruling things in is really difficult. You sort of have this general feel for what you like, um, and and a new surgery, but then you have to think, well, what type of surgery? And that's really a bit more tricky. Uh, and for me, orthopedics uh, was because uh, it, it just seemed the best type of surgery. You know, it seemed the most varied. It seemed like that's what you tried to do more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you and and the more I got into orthopedics, the more I realised, okay, look, yes, you do have cancer in orthopedics, but it's very specialised, and it wasn't something that I was particularly interested in. But what you do in orthopedics, I think, is completely life-changing in comparison to any other specialty. You literally take somebody who cannot walk and give them their life back. Exactly. It, the, the, the difference in quality of life is, is quite staggering in orthopedics. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and you go from, I can't walk, I can't, I can't even uh, cook or clean or, or walk the length of me, to, all right, well, I've got my entire life back. Uh, and it, it, that type, that was just something that, that I loved, you know, the idea of making that big a difference to somebody's quality of life. Look, I'm not saving saving their life, but I'm making the huge difference in their quality. And I think if if that's one thing that, that you can't really do in any other specialty to that level, uh, and that's sort of what ended up drawing me into orthopedics. Um, uh, and, and I sort of started drawing myself in towards shoulders as well because of the nature of the the surgery and the fact you didn't have very many uh, inpatients as well. So, <laughs> so there is, there is that, um, that, that I was mm-hmm. quite, uh, quite enamored by, but yeah, I, I think it, it does really come down to your friends um, and what you know, you like and don't like, you know, I, I, when I did a and E, I had friends uh, who simply had no interest in seeing the surgical patients that were coming through uh, and they had some real complex medical stuff and I was like, I don't really want to see that. And so we would happily swap cards um and, and you most people know whether they want to do surgery or or, or uh, medicine and then really it becomes a game of sorting out 
um, at that point. But if you don't know if you want to be a surgeon or a medic, then that that's difficult. I, I think that makes complete sense in terms of going down surgery and, and the influence that your friends have and, and ultimately the difference that you can make in, in orthopaedics. My next question is relating to, again, your, your experience within medical school. And it's sort of a fun question, I suppose. What is your most memorable experience in, in medical school that, that you can remember? I have to say, uh, you know, I'm smiling because I look back at my, my medical school days with such fondness. Um, I was... I was uh, young in London and able to do what I wanted, essentially. Um, and and it was just one of those uh, incredible periods of my life. And I, I'll never get that type of, of life ever again. Uh, and the friends that you make are lifelong friends. You know, um, I still have my medical school friends. I love chatting to them. And, 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 and they know the real me, no matter... Uh, where, what I do and where I go and you know they know the real me and they know um, they can really they really help level you when you're low when you know I remember having a complication when I was doing orthopedics and and talking to them was really helpful because they they pull you back up and they make you see the the world as it, as it really is uh, and then very quickly take the piss after that um and and then the same the other way you know if you're flying um they they pull you back down to earth and yeah. and uh and, and and level you out um Definitely. so the friends that you make at medical school are, are simply going to be friends for life um most memorable i mean people ask me do, do i get embarrassed by stuff and i don't things don't embarrass me anymore and the reason that nothing embarrasses me is my initiation when I was a rugby fresher, um, so what imagine. we used to do, <laughs> what what we used to do is you'd um, you'd go on schools tour, uh, which mm -hmm. was basically um, going uh, to another city, um, and uh, I'm not sure we actually played any rugby as, as the first years, um, but you'd go to another city um, for for a tour for two or three nights. Uh, and then you would come back uh, and then you would have an inter-year match. Uh, and that was a real big deal. You know, a lot of the medical school would turn up to watch the inter-year match. It was first years v second years. Uh, and, and it was actually quite, quite a thing. But the initiation at the end of the match, win or lose, and we won, by the way, you don't often win as a, as a first year team and we won. Um, but the initiation uh, is to sing a song on the bar and as the song progresses, you lose an item of clothing. Right. Okay. Uh, and the last bit of the song is you completely naked with your hands up on the bar. Um, and after that, things really didn't embarrass me anymore. And you have to remember, um, it was 2000, so we can't judge mm. it by today's, uh, today's standards. I'm not sure <laughs> we would do that or you'd be allowed to do that anymore. But it was, it was sure. certainly part of initiation. Um, and and yeah, massively shaped my medical school experience. Um, mm -hmm. But that is definitely something that I remember. <laughs> definitely. For better or for worse. <laughs> now I'd like to move on to more of the, the medical training side of things uh, after, after you graduated medical school. And so I know that you went down, so you did F1 and F2, and then you went on to become uh, an orthopedics registrar. 
And it, did you become a consultant after no. that time? No, you didn't. Okay. No, no. At some point through the orthopedics training pathway, you then decided to retrain as a GP. What was your main rationale for doing that? Because it's it's quite a transition going from surgery to, to then GP. I, I almost see them as kind of two polar opposites in terms of the, the nature of, of the work that you do. Yeah. Uh, and that's sort of going back to the start of our conversation um, about when you asked, is there anything that I missed out? Uh, and that was the kids. Um, so, so I had my child, my first child, um, and it was one of those, those scenarios where I always wanted kids and, uh, you know, I knew they'd, they'd come along um, and I knew I'd love my children, but you don't really know how much you love your children until, until this little tiny thing appears and it's yours. Imagine. Um, it's, it's crazy actually. Uh, and, and so I was, you know, when you're, when you're in a hospital full stop, it's full on. Uh, and when you're doing a competitive specialty, then it's even more full on. And I remember, you know, I would spend, I get every opportunity possible to operate. So it didn't really matter what it was, you know, it was 7 PM on a Friday. Uh, we've got this case coming up. Do you fancy it? Yes. Yeah, I do. Uh, I'll stay behind. I don't care. I need to. I need to do. I need to get my experience up. Um, you'd be doing audit. You go home and you just start doing your audit. You'd be doing your research, and you know, that all happens in your own time. It doesn't happen in 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 time in hospital. Uh, and anything that you want to do, courses or anything else, on top of that, is is all time that you are dedicating to your specialty. Uh, and that's one of the things in in the interview. What's your dedication to the specialty? Um, and I simply wasn't really spending much time with my family. And, and I, I, you know, every time when you become a, an FY1, um, it's actually really scary, but you become an FY1 and you think, oh my God, this is awful. Um, but look how much better it is as an FY2. And then you become an FY2 and you go, actually, it's not that much better. It's, it's just different rubbish I'm dealing with. Um, and then you look at the, the regs and go, well, actually, is it probably that's a better life. And then you become a reg and you go, well, different rubbish that I'm dealing with compared to, to being an SHO. Um, obviously, there's some really good stuff. Um, but then you're like, well, the senior regs, they've really got that sorted. And then you become a senior reg and you're like, oh, my God, actually, again, it's just different rubbish. But you're still dealing with stuff that you just it's not fun. But then you look at the consultant going, OK, right, well, it'll be better when I get there. And it was, it was just like an epiphany where I was in hospital. It was about, it was about seven o'clock on a Friday and I had already, I'd done, I'd done the operating that day. So I'd gone to see all my post-ops. Uh, I had done a ward round of my current inpatients. Um, and then I was like, well, where's the boss? Because there's a basic rule, don't leave before the boss. Uh, especially when you're a registrar, just make sure the boss is out the door before you you go. Uh, and he was still in his office working. So I said, right, okay, well, I'll hang around. So I saw a couple of problem people. I did a couple of on-call things just because I was there and I was a bit bored. And I got to 7 p.m. on Friday and I just thought, oh, I want to go now. Like I've, there's nothing else for me to do. Uh, and, and I put my head in and I saw him still there doing his paperwork. And it just dawned on me. I don't want to be him. And if you don't want to be the consultant and specialty you're training to be, and my consultant were, was brilliant, absolutely loved him. He was a great guy. 
Um, and he was very efficient. And he was a hard worker. He was still there at 7 p.m. on, on, on a Friday. Uh, when that hits you, that you don't want to be that person, um, then you've got to make a change. And, 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 and that's where I, and my wife's a GP, uh, and she said, look, this is what you need to, to do. And, and so I retrained. And it was a really, really difficult decision because all I wanted to do was be an orthopedic surgeon and cut. Um, and so that decision was really difficult. It, it, I missed it the first year. Um, I missed the application because I just wasn't ready to face doing it. But then I did another year in orthopedics and yeah, I, I just felt I need to change. When you did decide to make that transition, did you feel like you should have made that decision earlier as in went straight into GP training uh, out of F- F2 when you finished that? Or were you still happy that you did that training in orthopedics first before making that transition? Well, I mean, my wife went uh, F1, F2 GP training GP mm-hmm. uh, and, and and was spat out the other side and was was a fully qualified GP for what, five years after, after med school. Um, I'm not, I loved my time when I was doing orthopedics. It taught me a lot. It really taught me a lot. So, so again, you know, I, I get asked about stress. Um, you know, you, you don't seem to be stressed that often. Uh, why is that? And it's because of, of my experience in surgery. I, I, you know, as you get more senior, the boss doesn't stay in the hospital when you're operating, you know, Saturday list, they'll go home. And I was operating and um, just going along, thinking there's a bit more red here than, than I'm used to, but it's okay. Um, I'm still doing, doing what I should do. Uh, it was a hip I was operating on and the anaesthetist stuck his head round, uh, round the drapes. They don't do that very often. Um, and so you sort of stop what you're doing. You're like, yes. And he's like, all okay down there? Yeah, yeah, yeah we're fine. He said, well, because the blood pressure is dropping, the pulse is going up. Um, are you sure you're all okay down there? And I was like, oh, okay. A bit more red than I was used to. So I went digging uh, and there was a bleed uh, and it's hit me in the face and, uh, you know, the scrub nurse wiped my visor and I couldn't see anything because it just smeared the blood everywhere. So we had to take that visor off. And I was, um, you know, this patient was dying while I was operating and there was no one else to come and help me. It was me and the patient. Uh, and that's stressful. That's really stressful. Um, good news is we managed to stop bleeding by simply applying pressure, which is always a good thing. And then you found the bleeder and then you, you know, cauterized and tied it off and it was all fine. But but um, it, was, it was that experience that really gave me that this is what real stress is. This is genuinely life mm-hmm. and death. Everything else isn't. Nothing else really is like that so time critical um and and so intense uh, and so i think i think orthopedics has taught me an awful lot it's taught me decision making you make decisions all the time when you're doing orthopedics it's taught me uh how to make safe decisions it's taught me um how to communicate with patients on on difficult things and, and it's not just people it's pa- not just patients you're communicating with it's people that you're talking to um, and and you deal with elderly, frail people a lot. So it's helped me talk to families about really difficult things. So so no, um, I don't think that I I don't regret going down the orthopedic route at all. 
Um, would I have liked to have done it earlier? Yeah, of course, I'd like to have um, got my pay up to GP level instead of being a, a hospital trainee uh, at, at pay, but I don't regret what I did at all. And so while you've been a GP, at some point you decided to make a trend or a partial transition into politics and spend part of your time working as a GP and the other part time as a member of Scottish Parliament. At, at what point did you make that decision and, and why did you make that decision? Um, so to, to answer that, we, we have to go back a little bit. Um, so, so when I told you about how orthopaedics doesn't really allow you to do anything else, your time mm-hmm. is completely filled with orthopaedics. That's all you think about. Um, and then you become um, a GP trainee. And it's just very different. You know, your portfolio uh, that you have to fill in uh, is time consuming, um, but it's not like it is in orthopedics. And so I suddenly found myself with more time. Now, most people uh, would say, yes, but you did that because you wanted to spend time with your family. And that's right. Um, but I sort of felt around that time, um, it was the junior doctor strike. Uh, and and everyone was up in arms with with the new contract that was coming in, and I wasn't happy with the new contract and what was happening with it. And I was saying the BMA were were not particularly good; they weren't doing what, what we needed them to do. And then it dawned on me: well, instead of complaining about it, why don't you do something about it? So I joined um, uh, and became a GP trainee rep for the West of Scotland. Uh, then I was elected to be the GP trainee rep for all of Scotland. And then I chaired um, the national committee for two years. I co-chaired um, on both occasions, but it was two years of medical politics. Um, and we introduced, we, we, you know, we made some really big changes and some really good things, increasing um, mileage rates and ensuring that we bring in uh, the ability for, for um, trainees to have um, their, their pay um, calculated properly and um, so, so we did quite a lot actually um, uh, as, yeah, as a, the BMA GP trainees committee uh, and so, so I, I had that and I was also a football club doctor um, for Queen's Park uh, which was great fun actually that was really good fun but, but those two experiences uh, sort of lend themselves into that slightly political world well, especially the, the BMA stuff and and the pandemic really was what prompted me to, to go into politics. So, you know, when when you're um, uh, when the pandemic hit, I didn't know anything about COVID and coronavirus and what what it meant at the time. My wife was pregnant, um, and she gave birth in March to my my second child, and I didn't know if this new virus would do anything to a newborn baby I, I sim- we simply didn't know so i i remember for six weeks i didn't hug my newborn child i didn't kiss her i didn't do anything because i was wow. terrified that this virus would do something I, i'd come home um there's a, there's an stv um clip uh, about my day you know i would come home and i would change at the front door leave my clothes in a plastic bag and I would go upstairs and I'd have a quick shower. Uh, and then I would go to a separate room. I'd eat my food in a different, uh, different room um, to my kids. I would wave at them and talk to them through, uh, through across the entire length of the house. 
It was hard, really hard. Look, I, I, I it's imagine. not a sob story. It's not a sob story because we were all like that. All people had newborn babies, didn't didn't know uh, what was going to happen, and, and the medics and the doctors and the surgeons that were working were all working flat out. Um, I remember wearing. I remember we didn't have any uh, PPE in the GP practice I was working in, and we didn't know what to do. So uh, we were donated stuff. Basically, you know, I had um, the builders merchants would give us like black bin bags to put on. Uh, we got some glasses from from I think brownies or scouts or something donated us glasses. Um, and and we found some like these masks, which was sort of like for for aerosols. You know, they had this big mask here with these side pockets, but we, we didn't know. So we'd stick that on and get through your day as best you can. Um, and I remember there were two two incidents that I remember. One was we got uh, a delivery of masks. Eventually, we got a delivery of masks, and I looked at them, and they, they had a they had a sticker on the top of the mask packet. Now, when you've got sell by dates on masks, they don't have a sticker; they're just printed on the box. We all know mm -hmm. that because you, we deal with these boxes day in day out. So I was like, "Well, that's unusual." So I peeled back the sticker and the mask was a year out of date and and that just annoyed me and eventually we found out that that it was that they did some tests and it seemed okay to use it and it was because they didn't have any other equipment so it was better than nothing and it was still relatively safe because of the way that it was stored but instead of just sticking that sticker on uh, to a bunch of intelligent people who are curious. Our job is to be curious. When a patient comes to us, we are curious about what's going on. So, of course, I'm going to be curious about this sticker. That really annoyed me. They didn't even put a letter. If they put a letter in explaining that, we wouldn't have, there wouldn't be uproar. We'd all just go, yeah, okay, it seems reasonable. Um, uh, and the other was I remember telling a patient, he was asking me about COVID, and I remember telling him exactly what to do. And then 15 minutes later, Nicola went on to TV and changed the rules completely. And so all the advice I'd just given to that patient 15 minutes ago was wrong. And I just thought, this is, this is bad. You know, we, how could we possibly be in a position where doctors on the front line don't have a clue what's going on? There's no communication. It's awful. Uh, and again, much like the BMA thing, I went, well, instead of moaning about it, why don't you do something about it? Uh, and so I did. Uh, and I joined I joined the, the Scottish Conservatives and I got elected. Uh, and hopefully you're seeing that I am bringing that knowledge to Parliament and really trying to make a change. But, but it was because I was so fundamentally annoyed with how badly the pandemic was going. In relation to you balancing work as a GP, with this role as an MSP, um, I believe you're working. Is it one day a week in the 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 practice? Yeah, um, and so I can imagine that that's quite difficult to to balance that effectively. Only working one day a week as as a GP. How, how have you found it yourself? Well, I mean, the first thing to say is uh, I, I'm not dressed up in fancy dress because I'm doing the the podcast. I'm actually in GP. <laughs> Um, you know, some of my some of my colleagues do indeed uh, dress up in fancy dress and turn up in scrubs for no reason in a hospital. But anyway, we'll move on from that. It's not a political podcast. Um, so, so you know, I do some I do more than a day a week when it's it's recess, uh, and the okay. reason for that is because when you're doing a day a week, 
um, you, you come in happy. So I do a Monday and I, I walk into GP happy. No one goes into work on a Monday happy. Um, but I do because I'm doing what I've trained my entire life to do. And, and so I'm seeing patient, I'm seeing patients, I'm beginning to get that feeling of what's going on uh, and how GP's going. And it, it is it's really important that you, you know, I keep my hand in, I know the pressures facing um, doctors, I know how GP feels, I know I've done an out of hour shift, so I know how out of hours is going. Um, I'm looking to do some A&E shifts, so I get a feel for what it's like in hospital. Um, so, so those are all things that, that I can do to, to get that feeling. But at the end of the day, I, I leave happy because it's only a day. And portfolio work is, is actually something that I think is really important. And if you're a G, if, if anyone who's listening wants to be a GP, you need to do some portfolio work because it really makes a difference, whether that's BMA or your local medical committee or, or whatever. Um, having that variation in your day or, or in your week means that you're fresh um and that's something that that's really useful uh, because well i have 60 70 patient contacts a day making decisions all the time um, but when you when you've got a very job uh, your week then your mind is kept fresh so so yeah i, I go home happy but but what I, I increase that significantly when i'm in recess because now i begin to feel what it's like uh for for people who are doing it day in day out so you know, I'm getting a lot of my own results back. I'm getting um, a lot of patients um, wanting to, to to get help for things that, yeah, that I see on a on a day a week. But I'm now getting it um, much more, uh, and you really start to feel uh, for what's going on. Um, and uh, you know, I'm helping at the end of the day, and I'm actually a real doctor <laughs> doing, doing real stuff. Balance is 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 difficult. Um, because obviously I've got children as well, so I want to be involved in in, in their lives and be a dad, and and that's tough to do when you're in Edinburgh. I, I, you know, I live in Glasgow, and I'm going across to Edinburgh um, uh, for for what, three days a week, and then the fourth day is constituency work. So, so there there is a lot of balancing to do. And look, I do a lot of work um, out of hours, as such. You know, when my kids go down to sleep, I sit, I get on with my emails when when we've got strategy meetings and things to do, then I make sure that I, I do that when I can. And yes, that cuts into my own personal time, but something's got to give. And, and, and I'd rather give up my personal time than give up time with my family. And, you know, podcasts like this, I'm able to do it because this is my lunch break. So I'm doing a podcast in, in that time. And that's something that I, that I choose to do. And that's a way that I can, I can run um both my lives and balance it as, as best i can but you know i also then went on holiday um and i didn't do anything i i stopped and that's important you need that break and that switch off and you need a team around you who who are trustworthy and good uh, and when you get that then you know if something actually massive is happening you'll get a phone call so you don't need to check your emails because that's the worst thing you can do. Just have a quick look, make sure everything's okay. You know, trust the people that are working for you and, and it will be okay. And they will call you if needed. So breaks are really important as well. Uh, and, and, and I've got a two-year-old, uh, you know, and she, she very much consumes my time. To finish off, I would like to ask if you have 
any advice for any prospective medical students who are in the middle of applying to medical school or for any medical students who are at the very beginning of medical school, say they're about to uh, start medical school this September, do you have any kind of key insights maybe that, that we've not mentioned so far that, that you'd like to share before we finish the episode? Yeah, I'd say that if you're um, a, um, a school student and you are applying to medical school, um, work experience is really important, um, but it's not the be on and end all. Um, but you need to also make sure you do other things in the community. Um, well, I, I was um, part of MenCap um, and um, I, I thought I had the best volunteer job ever. Um, uh, people with Down syndrome um, would go bowling, for example, and I would accompany them. And my job was to talk to them and bowl with them and just be there and have a good time. I had a great time. But it taught me a lot, you know, and, and volunteering is really important. And, and you show why you want to do something uh, and, and something like medicine. It is it involves a lot of sacrifice uh, and and you need to be able to, to articulate that when you're going to, to apply. You know, when they say, why do you want to be a doctor? Well, what did I say at the start of the, the into this podcast? Well, I wanted to help people. We all want to help people. Um, but it needs to be more than that. It needs to be deeper. And you need to really think carefully um, when you're applying um, as to what you're going to say, because that interview is tough, really tough um, to get through. Um, and don't beat yourself up if you don't get it first time and you have to reapply or do something else, um, because it is a very difficult thing to do. Uh, and the other thing is, is, is if you are applying, think about at least one choice outside of your comfort zone. So if you're a Scottish student, for example, and you're applying to three universities in Scotland, maybe choose something outside of Scotland for your fourth one and give yourself that option to do something different um, and to, to, to experience things because medical school is unlike anything um, and, and you will really enjoy it. Um, what I would say to those who are at the start of their medical school journey, I remember um, being an FY1 Sorry, I'm sorry, I remember being a first year student, a uh, medical student, and um, we had this um, professor come in to give us a talk in Freshers' Week. And I've never seen the hall so packed, and it was full of old years because this guy was inspirational. And, and what he used to tell uh, was what you, as a, a, a medical student, are going to feel. Uh, and it was all about sort of time versus your confidence or confidence. Um, and at the start of your journey, it's up here. You know, your confidence is super high because you are a high, you're a higher achiever. To get into medical school, you are a high achiever. So in your school, you are one of the best uh, and you're one of the cleverest and the brightest uh, and the most articulate. Um, and you, that's how you go into medical school. But then you get there and you realize that actually everyone's like that. That's how they all got there. Um, so your confidence starts off high, but it's sort of, wanes a little bit over your first year and then you hit first year exams and I used to say to my freshers when I was when they were um, at rugby with me is actually you're not really in medical school until you pass your first exams um, and that's really important take those exams seriously um, so you sort of your confidence drops a bit and you're learning a brand new language so 10,000 new words that you're learning things that I now take for granted but it's a whole new language 
And so I remember uh, looking through my my dictionary going, what does that word mean? And having to rewrite like an entire sentence I was rewriting in normal English because I didn't get it, but it comes. But that's why your confidence drops over your first year. And then you pass your exams and it goes back up because you think, well, I passed my exams. I must be doing something right. Definitely. But then again, it drops. So over the second year and then the third year, so I did six years with Intercalated. Um, but if it drops, it drops again, then you go into hospitals and you realize, oh my God, this is, this is really weird um, because you're going in and you're seeing these patients and you're asking them all kinds of really personal questions. Uh, and so confidence starts to wane. Um, but then as you get into your, your, your fourth year or, or you know, penultimate year, it sort of goes up and you have your elective and your confidence goes up again. And then it's time for finals and your confidence goes way down here <laughs> because you go, oh, my God, I need to know all of medic- medicine, yep, surgery a and a bit of psychiatry on top. <laughs> uh, so, so your confidence is here, but you will get there. You're, you know, five or six years of people paying. So the people out there have paid for you to be at medical school. It mm-hmm. costs £300,000 or something to, to train a doctor, just to train somebody to the stage of an FY1. Um, they're not going to throw that away. Um, so you will get there. Most of us get there. 99.99% of us get there. So don't worry. You will get there. And you will be a doctor. Uh, you get that DR in front of your name. And then some people like me and like you will work even harder to get rid of the DR in front of our names to become a mister again. Um, but there's no accounting for, for some of us. Um, <laughs> and then confidence goes straight back, right up there when you get that doctor. You, you're just full of, of, of happiness and joy. Uh, and then you do your first week as an FYY. And it just drops exactly. down here again. <laughs> so this is what happens. Uh, this is normal. Don't think you're unique. Um, and if you're about to start, the biggest tip I will give you is do not sit in your room in the first day you get there. Get in your room, get your bags in your room, get out your toothbrush and get out and talk to people because these are your friends for life. Go and talk to people. Go have a good time. Enjoy medical school because you should be enjoying it uh, and you will be a doctor. Well, I, I don't think I could have put it better myself. Uh, I think that was very insightful and very good advice um, for anyone just about to, to start medical school. Well, Dr. Kohani, thank you so much for coming on the show again. I, I really do appreciate it. And I'm sure that it, the whole episode will be very insightful for, for anyone listening. So thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. And if anyone wanted to uh, say follow along with things that you're doing uh, in your role as an MSP uh, or as a GP? Do, do you have any social media outlets um, that, that people could follow you on? Yeah, the best thing to do is is Twitter. Uh, so at Sandish Gulhani, at Sandish Gulhani. Uh, and I'm on Instagram and we're just beginning TikTok. Uh, and we are going to begin to produce more content on there where we talk about both medical uh, issues and, 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 and highlight key things that are happening in the medical world, but also uh, we'll go into in-depth on, um, on politics and why it really matters to you uh, and why you should be paying attention to what's going on in the Scottish Parliament. Um, and we will be kicking that off after recess starts. But, um, but at the moment, Twitter is definitely the place to find it. Excellent. Thank you so much and enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you very much.